I'm Brandon Mercer. And I'm Joshua Stein. Today is Thursday, March 17th, 2016, and this is episode 18 of Garbage. All right, guys. On this week's episode, JCS is going to talk about his Pixel C, do a little comparison on um, the split screen features and Android N and the keyboard that that hardware offers. Um, we've got some user requests, um, some Android tethering questions, um, BSD CAN, um, and I've got a couple things that I've just observed in my day-to-day experiences, I guess, that I'm going to talk about and ramble about a little bit. So let's get into it. So I guess we'll start with OpenBSD news. I saw you got a Raspberry Pi 3. Yeah, that's right. Um, so Patrick has been, uh, you know, working on the... Uh, Raspberry Pi 2, and then he got a Raspberry Pi 3, and he said, let's make this work. <clears throat> and we talked about it a little bit last episode. Um, you know, he kind of proved out that the hardware would be supported pretty easily, and we need to get some diffs in, in, committed and uh, things cleaned up a little bit. But I bought the, the board, and I wanted to see, I want to get a working ARM board again that I can start to build snapshots on. So that was the thinking behind that. Um, he's got a lot of diffs. They need tested. Um, I've been reading a lot of code, but again, I don't have an ARM board to do builds on and all that kind of stuff. So the plan is to get the board up and running. There's a big diff in place, and um, I don't know that we should necessarily talk too much about the course of action, but there are some. Um, there's there is a little bit of um, planning going into this. So the first thing is we need to get flattened device tree working. Uh, there's kernel parts to that, there's parser parts to that, and um, those are being worked on. Patrick has already done that work, and some of it has been merged into OpenBSD. The Exynos port has some FDT stuff uh, commented out. We also have FDT stuff in the tree already for SOC PPC, so we're going to kind of uh, bring the two together. Um, once the FDT stuff is pulled in and working and we get that to a state where it's usable, um, we have PMAP changes. So the PMAP that we have for ARM v7 right now is probably, um, okay, it's, it's nowhere close to being usable for SMP or anything like that. So, uh, Dale Ron has been working on, um, a PMAP that is more suitable for SMP and, um, I've already seen the diff for it and I've read it and it's good code. Um, but again, there's a lot of underlying changes that have to happen. Um, probably at some point along the line in here, we're going to get rid of the ARM v5 stuff. Uh, that's the Zaris and the, um, other, it was a storage device or something. Um, but anyway, those are probably going to be going away and they're already diffs out on tech for, you know, removing ARM 8, ARM 9, ARM 11, ARM, etc. And so we're going to be getting rid of some old code, and um, then eventually, a little bit more long-term, and a couple things in between, we're going to have um, ARM v8, 64-bit. Um, there's things that have to happen in bin utils and the tool chain and um, lots of stuff that has to happen with that, but that's kind of the game plan. So the idea here is get a cheap piece of hardware, get it up and running, um, get these changes in place, once we have flattened device tree support, it's a little bit easier to add new hardware. As we add new hardware, we get kind of um, a little bit more visibility into subtle bugs and not-so-subtle bugs. And, um, yeah, hopefully it works out pretty well to do this. Because up until now, um, there hasn't been a lot of commitment from 
too many people and there hasn't been really anyone spearheading the efforts. And I'm hoping to be pretty active in, um, if not leading, um, encouraging people to lead and kind of orchestrating the team of people who are going to be doing the work. Um, maybe that's ambitious, but that's the plan. Um, so have you played with the device at all or? Um, only to pull it out of the bag and look at it and kind of see that the quality has improved pretty drastically over the first version. Yeah. Um, the components look to be a little bit thought out. I mean, the design is obviously matured. Um, it's a quad core CPU, 1.2 gigahertz, um, a little bit more onboard storage, uh, gig of memory. The Ethernet still hangs off of uh, USB, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it's a $35 board, so it'll be usable, it'll get me going, um, pretty decent hardware. I bet you we can even get games playing on it uh, at some point in time, and it'll be useful as a game platform. I know um, Linux has played Quake 3 on it and stuff, so, hmm. yeah. I have a uh, Raspberry Pi 2 um, running on my desk for this little clock thing that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it controls like these four uh, three-color um, LCD panels on it that I like um, set up so that I can address them as like one giant LCD screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it's running Linux, obviously, but um, the it had the Raspberry Pi 2, um, I guess one of the earlier versions, so it had USB wireless. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, um, it would kind of go into this mode where you could see like the uh, LCD screens kind of um, pulsating. And I thought maybe there was like some bad um, power or like ground or something going through it. Um, or if it was like the um, power draw from the USB that was causing problems. So I bought the newer one. It's not the three, but uh, the newer one with onboard Ethernet. Mm-hmm. And it seems to have gone away, so I don't know what the hell the problem with that was. Yeah. Um, but it uses, uh, it's connected to those LCD screens over the GPIO pins. Yeah. Um, so it'd be nice to get that working in OpenBSD so I can uh, get rid of a Linux thing here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I, I like that embedded stuff. I think that the Chromebooks are a little bit better platform because... You have like a working computer, mm-hmm. but there's shortcomings with those too because, you know, you have to hack up the hardware a little bit to get real serial um, because the keyboard needs to work and the frame buffer and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what else is going on in OpenBSD? Not a lot. I've just been watching a lot of people uh, make changes this week. Um, I haven't really been following too closely on source changes. Yeah, um, I still haven't gotten an okay on my uh, uh, stipple thing, <laughs> so I'm gonna not let it die. I'm gonna keep pestering people until it gets committed. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of work to read all those diffs and try out diffs and you know even small things that you really are passionate about. It's it's a pretty good amount of effort, um, you know, in a busy schedule to do stuff like that. So. Yeah, it's a it's a big commitment. I don't think people realize how much effort goes into open source software. It's it's pretty. You have to stay up on it in order to be able to follow what's going on, like kind of the pulse in the community and 
why changes matter and, you know, why something seems more politically heated or gets people excited more than other things. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, reading tech, you have a lot of that stuff that comes in and you're like, huh, that's interesting. wonder why that matters. <laughs> yeah. And then someone steps up that knows all about it. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I guess so. Yep. I guess I'll do my review. Yeah, I want to hear about this Pixel C. All right, so uh, when this first came out, I was kind of excited about it. It looked pretty neat. It's, uh, I think, like a 10-inch screen mm -hmm. and has, like, this magnetically attached um, Bluetooth keyboard that in the, uh, like, in the video of when they were debuting it, the guy, like, held it upside down by the keyboard to show you that the magnet is that strong. Right. Um, anyway, so it came out, and I kind of waited on it, and sure enough, the first, like, reviews about it came out and said that it was basically garbage um, because the um, drivers for it were terrible. Like, mm. you, the touchscreen would stop working or it would, like, stop responding properly and the keyboard had issues and uh, something else. And um, from what I read, this device was initially supposed to be a Chrome OS device, like the Pixel Chromebook or the Chromebook Pixel. Right. Um, and then at the last second, they... Um, released it with android on it which may explain why the hardware drivers for it were not very good right and then um the version of android that was on it that uh, comes on it is android i don't even know what the versions are m um, for marshmallow i think yeah it's android m i guess and then um it just doesn't really work very well on a giant tablet screen like that because you can only run one app at a time so they finally fixed the uh, hardware drivers, and then all the reviews were like, oh, yeah, it's much better now. You should buy it. And then um, Google uh, announced this developer discount. So you just like put in your email address on this form, and then they email you a discount code that you put into Google Play, and then you get 25% off the cost of the tablet. So I did that, and I bought the tablet and the, um, the keyboard. And... Um, you can upgrade it to the beta of Android N, and as mm. in Nancy, I guess they don't have a name for it yet, um, which uh, gives you the split screen thing, so you can run two apps at the same time. Right. So it makes it uh, a lot easier to use um, with such a big screen. Yeah, they advertised that the aspect ratio on the screen was uh, something that was actually perfect for splitting the screen. So when you're looking at it um, in its normal view, having things side by side, it would have a, a, an aspect, an appropriate aspect ratio for the split screen as well. So I think they were planning on having this work and do the split screen stuff well from the beginning because the hardware is designed to do that. Yeah. So, um, this is basically replacing my, uh, Nexus seven as my like Android tablet test device that I have to use for pushover. Mm -hmm. And it seems like if you put two uh, Nexus 7 tablets um, in portrait mode side by side. It would basically be like the the screen on this thing in landscape mode. Cool. The keyboard on it is, it attaches over Bluetooth, but it's um, it kind of like attaches to this magnetic flap, which is nice because um, in on some of those like uh, kind of tablet slash laptop computers that you can buy now, the screen will only sit on top of the keyboard at a certain angle. 
so yeah. you can either you can only use it at that one particular angle um like i have a ipad mini that i use for testing and it has like that leather case that folds back behind it and kind of like a makes a triangle behind it yeah but it can only sit at one angle and it's not a very good angle so if you like have it on your desk it's too upright and then like if you try and use it like in bed or on your lap or something it just ends up falling over all the time because it's not very stable mm-hmm. so uh the keyboard on this thing is um or at least the way that it attaches is very nice because it um, will stay at any angle from completely at like 90 degrees to all the way flat. Um, So you can use it however you want. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I was uh, intrigued with that because the... The keyboard doesn't need batteries. It's, uh, does inductive charging off of the, the Pixel C when it's, um, hooked up. Yeah. So you don't have to, to really worry about that. And then, um, you can just kind of fold it down and then you kind of like tear it off from the magnet mm-hmm. and then flip it over and put it back on it, on itself to close it. And then you get the, um, it kind of looks like a tiny Chromebook Pixel, um, when it's in that state. And then it has like the same thing where if you double tap on the lid, the lights on the back will light up and show you the battery capacity. Yeah, that's cool. Um, how, what kind of battery life are you getting from it? Um, I don't really know. I've only it's only been really sitting on my desk, and um, I've just been playing around with it. But I it was plugged in for a long time, so I'm not really sure what the battery life is like. The screen is uh, pretty nice and bright. The bezel is pretty small. Um, the keyboard, though, is not very good. It has a nice tactile to it, mm-hmm. um, but the key layout is just really terrible. Yeah. Um, they have like all sorts of different size and shaped keys that are all kind of crammed into this uh, weird layout. And like the enter key is two rows high, and the there's no like function row above the numbers. So like where you would go to hit escape is the one, but the one. Key oh, yeah, is like I hate that. Uh, one and a half key wide. It's just very awkward. Um, but the thing that drives me crazy on it is that the there's no caps lock key, obviously, and it's replaced with like the search key. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep hitting it by mistake, which launches the stupid Google search <laughs> app. Yeah. So like when I'm trying to type on it in like the in an SSH um, app on the on the thing. I keep hitting that by mistake, and then it launches the Google search app, which takes you out of what you're doing. And everything that I've uh, looked for, I can't figure out how to disable that. Um, I know on like older versions of Android on the phone, you could just disable the built-in Google search app, and it wouldn't launch anymore. Mm-hmm. But you can't disable the Google app because it's all like one big Google app on uh, <laughs> on Android N. Right. So I think I'm going to have to like root root this thing just to be able to take that stupid app out because it's driving me nuts. Yeah. That that is one thing I noticed about their keyboards like on the Chromebooks. Mm-hmm. They aren't too bad, but I always do find myself like having to make slight adjustments. Yeah. Um on on one of them I had it was really bad, but the the newer ones, uh my Acer Chromebook, I don't mind it too much. Um but there was one that I was do- always doing that. I'd hit the escape key uh, VI user. So I'm like hitting that all the time and I'd always hit the one key and stuff. Yeah. And, um, there was a backspace key that was like a single character, like a single key with, and I'd always mm-hmm. hit that and, or, and miss the key and it drove me crazy. Yeah. And so there's like, there's not a lot of keys on the keyboard cause they tried to make them as big as possible with the, um, however wide the thing is. Mm-hmm. So 
if you're using like an SSH app, you don't have keys for like common things like the pipe or um, the back tick or like uh, brackets and stuff like that. Yeah. So to get those, you have to hold down like a function key and hit some shortcut that you're supposed to remember because none of those are printed on the keys. <laughs> and I think for like one of them, you have to hit like the function shift and then something else. And it's like some common character that you type a lot on Unix. Right. So it's uh, really difficult to use. So I think if I were to like use this as a um, like a little laptop that I could carry around, um, I would probably want to carry like another Bluetooth keyboard in my bag or something, mm-hmm. and then just like that has all the normal keys on it, and then use that um, like sitting on top of the built-in keyboard, because um, then you can use the built-in keyboard, you know when you absolutely have to, if you don't want to carry anything else, but then when you're doing like lots of, um, typing and development or whatever you're doing, you could use an actual keyboard and, and probably a mouse too. Is the on-screen keyboard any good? Um, not really. It's, uh, I mean, it's usually hidden because the hardware keyboard is always connected to it, at yeah. least when I'm using it. Um, but it's, you know, the normal, keyboard but stretched out to a giant screen so it's really awkward to uh to type on yeah i always thought the on-screen keyboards on a tablet were horrible they never made sense to me um the ones on the phone i have big hands so like typing on the touch screen is horrible mm-hmm. and everybody's like no 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 no. you have to get the touch screen and i'm like i want my blackberry with my physical yeah. keys and i can type on that and everybody's like, no, 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 you'll get used to it. And I still hate it to this day. I think uh, swipe sucks, and I hate typing on those keyboards. And like, just do it faster. I'm like, I have to hit the backspace key 900 times to type 150 characters. This is, this is stupid. And then on the tablets, it's like spread out across the whole screen. And it seems like to me like the touch uh, feedback is not um, natural. You mm-hmm. know, you you press a key and then like it misses a keystroke and then presses the next one uh, because it didn't register the first keystroke until after you'd, after you'd started pressing the next one. And I never really liked it. And you can't swipe on there because it's like you're going, you know, six inches across the screen and back and forth again to try and reach all the letters. And uh, the only thing I've had mild success with is, uh, you know, the voice search, which isn't really practical for a lot of places and to do a lot of things. So, I usually wind up wanting a lot when it comes to uh, the tablet uh, keyboard experience. I have um, a Transformer Prime 201, Mm -hmm. and I have a keyboard for that, and everybody's like, no, you're making a mistake spending all that money on that, and it's decent. Uh, It does enough of the things that I need, but it's still a compromised experience by a long shot. Um, I can't remember if it's one of the larger iPads, but they have like the split keyboard. So mm-hmm. half of the keyboard will be on the left and then there will be a big um like empty space and then the right side of the keyboard. So if you held the tablet with two hands, you could thumb type with it. Right. Um and I don't know if that's I'm sure there's like a third party keyboard for Android that would do that. Um but I have I mean I've since I've gotten it um a couple of days ago, it's has not been detached from the hardware keyboard, so Nice. Um and as far as Android N is going Obviously, you have the the split screen thing, which doesn't really work very well yet, because the um, basically every app that you launch and then try and run in in the split screen mode, you get a little um, the toast notification that says this app is not optimized for split screen and may not work <laughs> properly or something like that. Yeah. And they're right, because a lot of apps um, they either don't 
like notice that they've been resized or they just crash or something like that. Yeah. And even like the Play Store app, um, I tried putting that in a split screen view and it like resized on itself, but it didn't, it like didn't know that it was going out of big giant tablet mode. So what it ended up doing is just resizing. It basically just took like, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but if you launch it on a giant tablet, it stretches everything out and then puts like a tiny search text field in the middle of the screen. Mm-hmm. Well, when you, when it tries to go into split screen mode, it just cuts out the center of the screen and then combines it. So you still have all this huge gap on the left and, the, and on the right. So the search text field ends up being like um, a quarter of an inch wide. <laughs> and it's like really at Google, like your own apps, you didn't even bother, you know, making it look nice on this thing. Yeah. But I mean, it's a beta. Um, so I'm sure as time goes on, um, more and more apps will look better in uh, split screen mode. Um, like right now, Firefox basically crashes anytime you try and put it in a split screen mode. I've heard um, a lot of people using the Nexus devices, um, the 5X and the 6P on uh, Project Fi. I've heard actually pretty good feedback about uh, Android N and the split screen experience then. Um, but I haven't tried it myself. I'm not feeling too brave. My phone is actually working mm-hmm. with everything I want it to work with. So I'm a little hesitant to be, um, doing upgrades right now, but, um, the user feedback that came through the project Fi community seemed to be pretty positive, um, running apps side by side. Now on a phone, you have such a small screen. I don't know like how that yeah. would even work, but, um, it seems to be a little bit different experience. So maybe the, the, uh, mobile and the, tablet experiences are um, worked on by different teams or they just have different uh, uh, hurdles to overcome. Yeah. So hopefully um, Android, the Android N will get better over time and then um, I'm sure it'll take a long time for all the third-party apps to uh, get working. But I mean, like the SSH app that I was using um, works fine in split-screen mode, so I had that up next to like a Chrome window and it worked fine. Yeah. But then you run into the issue of the hardware keyboard being crap so it's hard to like get real work done on it yeah so are you using um juice ssh uh yes i haven't really like set it up i just installed it yeah i'm uh i'm not like advocating them but they seem to be uh working well for me i i can get in and like um the on-screen keyboard if you touch inside a juice ssh session it'll bring up things like tab and escape so if you're on your phone and you don't have the physical mm-hmm. keyboard or something like that, you can hit tab and it'll tab complete stuff and escape actually works. So you can do like uh, VI commands and all that stuff really easily. And I've uh, been happy with uh, Juice SSH. And they seem to be, um, they seem to really do a good job with uh, keeping up with security. And I've never had an issue with like, oh, we don't have a supported Cypher suite or, you know, some other deprecated thing that hasn't worked mm-hmm. in years, you know, being disabled and they don't have a, a way to use it. So uh, I, I do like them. And I, they also have the um, elliptic curves enabled to the 25519. Mm-hmm. So I was impressed with that, pleased. So not an, uh, not endorsing them, but I, I do like them. Yeah. Um, as far as, like, using a one of these tablet things with, like, a hardware keyboard... Um, I don't know that Android is very, very well suited for it. Um, because what ends up happening is like when you want to switch between apps or go back or something like that, you Mm -hmm. end up having to like take your hands off the keyboard a lot right? because you can't do everything from the keyboard. 
And then I even tried plugging in like a mouse um, and you get a, a cursor on the screen, uh-huh. but you can't um, like you can point and click at stuff, but you can't scroll with a scroll wheel because all of the apps respond to you tapping and then dragging something on the screen to scroll. Hmm. So you still have to do that with the mouse. So rather than like scroll with the wheel, you have to click and hold on the on the app and then like move the mouse up to get it to scroll down basically. So it's very confusing. And then like um, if you want to go back, you have to hit the back button in the very bottom left corner of the screen. So it's kind of like awkward to hit that from your hands on the keyboard. So I don't know. It's uh, yeah. maybe I'm just trying to use it for more than it's intended to, but um, it seems like one of those uh, Windows tablets like the Surface Pro would be better at this because all the apps are written to work on that and it actually has a trackpad instead of you trying to do half the things with the keyboard and half of it with your hand. Yeah, I, I it's weird because I get I, I I really want tablets to work as a laptop replacement too because I feel like there's a a good use for a tablet and I feel like it could almost be my phone too and my laptop if it just did a few things differently and um and it's never there. Uh mm-hmm. and I get really used to touching the screen to do stuff. I think that uh after I start to incorporate that in my you know, my, um, user experience, I go back to my laptop and I'm like, what is this crufty thing with a mouse and a trackpad? <laughs> yeah. I think the, uh, there's another Apple event, like on the 21st or something where they're mm-hmm. going to announce the new iPhone. And I guess the rumor is that they're announcing a, uh, iPad pro that's like nine or 10 inches, which is kind of the size of the pixel C. Mm-hmm. So maybe if that's, uh, if that comes out with a keyboard, maybe that'll be good too. Yeah. Somebody needs to do a good job with that. I'd love to see that. Yeah. There's one other thing I was going to complain about. Oh, when you're typing in a text field in an app mm-hmm. with the hardware keyboard and you hit enter, most apps don't respond to that the right way. And they just add a new line in the text field <laughs> rather than like, you know, clicking the default button on the page or whatever. Right. Or uh, just basically not doing the thing that you would expect. So in a situation like that, you hit enter and then realize I did the wrong thing. You have to hit backspace and then lift your hand off the keyboard and then tap on the button that you yeah. expected it to uh, to click on. So a lot of work there. Um, I mean, I'm using it for testing for pushover, so hopefully at least pushover will uh, work nicely with a keyboard. Does it do it on uh, web forms too, or is it just uh, Android apps? Um, it's like some Android apps. I don't know if like some Android apps um, are already written to handle hitting enter on a text field and doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, but it's probably something I need to add to my, uh, to my code. Cool. Well, um, while we're on the topic of Android, um, we had, uh, someone write in and they were asking kind of like how to, um, uh, like about tethering apps, um, for Android and OpenBSD. Mm-hmm. And, I've tethered my Android phone a whole bunch in OpenBSD, and it's honestly one of the easiest experiences I've ever had. I love it. You plug in your phone, um, and obviously if the phone's um, set up to do this, you just say, hey, do USB tethering, and um, you enable USB tethering. You'll see the the URNDS um, interface pop up in your D message. You type DH client as root. Um, and it gets a, an IP address and then it will start sending packets through your tethered Android device and it just works. 
So I've always think, thought that was like a thing of beauty. It, this has worked for like, I don't know, six or seven years with the Blackberries. I could plug in my Blackberry and do the same thing. It'd pop up. Hey, look, here's this, you know, whatever device. And then you tell it to start sending packets through it and voila, it works. So, um, if you're, uh, if you want to tether with Android on your OpenBSD machine, uh, it just works. Trademark. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I would assume the Wi-Fi tethering works as well. Yeah, the Wi-Fi tethering works as well. Um, I've I've set it up with um, what is it the WPA two keys and without, mm-hmm. and yeah, it just works. Um, it'll show up in your uh, scan. You just uh, I have config scan and then the interface name, and it'll show up, and you can um, tell it to associate with that access point, and then get yourself an address, and it and it works. It works really really well. How does uh? that Google Fi thing handle tethering? Do they care about it or no? Uh, they don't care about it. Um, in your data plan, you do see uh, normal mobile data usage different than tether data usage, hmm. but it comes out of the same pool. I wonder how they're able to uh, distinguish that. I have not looked. I haven't bothered to look, but it. it um, I'm assuming that when you turn on USB tethering or something, it starts counting it, maybe? Hmm. Uh, um, yeah, because I know a lot of carriers um, would like, uh, at least AT&T used to a long time ago, mm-hmm. would ban tethering. Um, and then obviously like on the iPhone, they had more control over it. So yep. they would just disable tethering if you didn't have the plan. And then if um, you, I guess they changed it or something, so they don't care about it that much anymore. But um, they would do like packet inspection. And if you, like if you're using if they see data coming from your phone that's going to like update.windows.com or something like that, they obviously know that you're tethering a Windows machine to it. Yep. So they would do stuff like that to um, basically see if you're tethering and then, I don't know, yell at you or something. Yeah, one one mistake I always make is um, I plug in my phone, I turn on tethering, um, I open up my laptop, and then I configure the... Um, DH client to, you know, use the phone and then Chrome's like, aha, I have internet. And the 70 tabs that I have open are all like, Hey, I'm going to go refresh. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's no good for my data package because I get, um, I get money back for unused data, which is kind of nice. Hmm. So, um, yeah, mobile, mobile phone stuff with project Fi is, uh, is good. You can get another SIM card for your tablet and, um, it'll, it'll use your data off of your uh, data package that you already have. So if you have two gigs a month, you get another SIM card, you plug it in your tablet, and it just uses what it uses and all that kind of stuff, which I think is a really nice feature. Yeah, that's really cool. I wish more uh, carriers did that instead of having to buy a separate mobile data package for some device that you have that uh, has a 3G card or whatever. Yep. It works well. And and all in all, I like I like the experience. I think the hardware has been working well, and, and there's some things to complain about, but that's for another day. It, it's been a good carrier experience. Uh, the coverage thing is not quite on par with something like AT&T, but it's really getting close. Um, I, I think it's probably better than my Verizon experience has ever been, uh, definitely better than T-Mobile and Sprint on their own. Um, when you're switching between carriers, it works really well, and there's a little bit of a problem sometimes with the algorithm deciding uh, whether to use Sprint in a particular area versus T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. 
but after a while it gets it figured out and there's generally not a problem. And the other thing that I've noticed is um, Sprint and T-Mobile have roaming agreements with AT&T and Verizon and those um, work the same way for a Project Fi subscriber as they do for anybody else. So if I'm um, associated with a Sprint tower or a, a Sprint roaming area that's roaming onto Verizon, I get Verizon's coverage there too. So it's kind of <laughs> a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. Well, that's good. Enough talk about Android. What else do we have to talk about? Oh, I did want to talk to our, our users. Um, you guys are fantastic. Um, I get uh, some, we get emails from you guys, and I have talked to some of you on IRC. I've talked to some of you on Twitter, and you guys are doing really cool stuff. And it's really encouraging to hear people using cool tools and getting uh, really good results with them. And I guess maybe I'm a little bit aware of uh, the more enterprisey solutions because that's kind of where I work. And it's been stuff that I've done to pay the bills. And uh, it's it's great to hear people with success stories, you know, using uh, these, what are they called, nonconformist tools. And uh, it, it's really cool to see you guys getting good results. It's really cool to hear you guys with your success stories and improving over uh, deficiencies and really complex, uh, enterprise solutions that just don't work well. So, uh, keep, keep telling us those stories. I, I love that kind of stuff. And, um, I, I love to sit down over dinners and talk about horror stories. And, uh, those are the times when it really like those stressful nights when you're trying to debug a problem with, you know, your coworkers who are mad and hate you because something doesn't work. And you're like, this isn't my fault. This is, you know, these horrible tools that you make me use. Uh, when you go out, when you go out with your friends and you're having dinner and you're sharing those stories, you can laugh about them then. Then, and I guess it kind of takes a little bit of the heat of, uh, takes a little bit of sting out of the pain, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if people have those uh, stories, I think it would be cool if they wrote them up somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that people outside of the uh, this small community can uh, learn about OpenBSD and stuff. Yeah, one of the things that I think is really cool about the the stories that I hear is, um, and you probably have noticed this about me, I talk in very big, vague terms, and I don't like to go into a lot of details. Um, there's a story there, but I'll save it for another day. But I really like concrete examples, and it's kind of ironic that I talk very vague and um, I like concrete because they're two completely different things. And I think in technology you really need to talk in concrete examples because people respond well to, um, especially in, in technology, what is the problem? And if you come to me and say, we're having issues, well, I can't do anything about that. I need you to talk to me about what you're trying to do, what you saw, and what you were expecting it to do. And I know that sounds silly, but I see this day in and day out. People talk in these really vague terms, and I get frustrated with them. <laughs> And it happened today even, but, uh, you know, I like when people talk in concrete examples. If somebody tells me IPsec sucks, I'm like, yeah, of course it does, but we really haven't said anything. You know what I mean? And uh, I've discovered that it's it's a little bit cultural in the United States. We just, we rant about things and we complain about things. And, you know, um, I was over at... Um, in Stockholm, and I was listening to people talk about IPsec, and they said, well, what happens in IPsec is 
you know, when it goes to negotiate this thing, uh, this sends this and, uh, it, that's legitimate according to the spec, but then the other side parses it and it parses it expecting one way, but it should expect, uh, a little bit more according to the spec. And it works on Cisco, but it doesn't work on OpenBSD. And so they, they talk about the problem and they're still kind of saying, yes, this sucks, but it feels more constructive. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I come away from it, I just don't know that IPsec sucks and I should use HTTPS all the way down. Uh, that's a joke. But um, I feel like I come away with a good understanding of what the deficiency is. And, you know, you can kind of solve that. You can address that. And, and you know later on down the road when things improve uh, that, uh, it doesn't really suck. It's actually, you know, there was a small problem and it's been fixed and look at all the other things that have been enabled because of it and all that kind of stuff. So um, when you guys talk about your stories, when you guys talk about your user experiences, uh, this is a, a trap that has caught me in the past where, you know, people were like, why should we use Go? And I'm like, because .NET is horrible and it's awful and it's terrible and Go is amazing. Now, like... To someone else, they're like, but why? You need to know why. And um, a lot of times I, I do like to focus on the whys and the details, but I think there's a big part of you know my petitioning and my explanation that lacks concrete examples. And I like to see that <clears throat> both in um, you know what you guys talk about when you guys are using things and um, and then I like to do it myself too when I petition cases. It's bit me more times than I can care to imagine. Um, so make sure you're constructive with your thoughts and uh, make sure you're detailed with your analogies and examples. It's it's much better that way. And I would hope that uh, this being a podcast about technology, much of it garbage, that uh, when we do complain about things, we're at least offering some uh, reasoning or technical merit. <laughs> yeah, something behind it that it's not just, well, this sucks and that's it, um, yeah. that we can at least offer this sucks, here's what you can use instead, or this is why it sucks, uh, to avoid doing that again in the future, or something like right. that. Yep. I know for me, mine stems a little bit uh, from my environment. I'm, uh, you know, I don't work in a huge team of people, and I'm not surrounded with, with developers, so most of the time when I have to explain something, it has to be um, really distilled down. So, you know, for me, I'm in there, like, I was working on an authentication framework this week, and um, I decided to get fancy and do some stuff with bits uh, to store my permissions and all this kind of stuff, and, um, you know, I had somebody asking me, like, well, where are we at with this, and, you know, like, oh, that's, well, why do we need that, and, you know, I really had to distill it down, and uh, a non-technical thing, so I know that that's part of my problem, Um explaining things to non-technical people um you know and then what winds up happening is they ask a lot of questions because it doesn't make sense to them and maybe that's because i'm not explaining it well enough in in uh these vague terms but uh, that's what winds up happening it's kind of a bummer <laughs> yeah i work alone so um my wife and my dog don't understand the things that i talk about so i usually <laughs> just complain about things to myself and then I just have to sit with them and that's it. Yeah. So anyway, you guys are great. I love hearing your stories. I love hearing your work. And, um, and I am, I'm pulling for you when, uh, you know, you're the lone developer at this company just doing awesome things that, uh, no one can appreciate and no one can, uh, 
no one really gives you gratitude for because they just don't really uh, understand it. So keep telling them to us. It's it's cool stuff. Uh, us BSD users and us people who use these uh, crazy outlandish tools that don't make any sense. Um, we we do a lot of cool stuff that I think often gets lost. So. Um, in a sort of related note, it would be kind of cool if we could get together at BSD Can uh, and talk about these kind of things, and um, you know, just like hear the stories and um, meet the people and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm not sure that it's in the cards this year. Uh, I have a pretty busy summer with personal things, and in fact, I don't even think I'm going to be able to make it to the hackathon. But we've had a, a handful of you people ask if we're headed to BSD Can. And for me, it's a giant, I'd like to, but probably not. Um, I guess for me, it's a, uh, I would like to, and I just don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, I need to look more into uh, the dates and costs and all that. Yeah, BSD Can has a really cool lineup this year. I know that there's a lot of people that uh, Peter Hessler is giving a really good talk. Um, uh, I have a bunch of other friends who are giving talks and they're, amazing spouses are giving talks so uh, i'd love to make it up there and i'd love to hang out with you guys and uh rub elbows and eat food together and all that kind of fun stuff but i just don't know if it's in the cards so i guess we'll uh keep you listeners updated if brendan and i are going or not yep i'd love to i don't really have anything else to talk about just that i uh i did the thing that you're never supposed to do this week and built my own web framework or authentication <laughs> mechanism as long and, as you didn't roll your own crypto, I think you're okay. No. Yeah, no, I didn't, and uh, I was kind of proud that I didn't. Uh, I made use of all the, the stuff that uh, DJB did and um, with uh, Libsodium, the NACL stuff, and all that kind of stuff. I would actually advise uh, rolling your own authentication system if it's small, mm -hmm. uh, as long as you're not using your own crypto. Like, as long as your authentication system is using something like vcrypt or whatever to store uh, hashed passwords, you're okay. Because I've actually seen a lot of um, vulnerabilities in those giant authentication frameworks. Yep. Like, um, I can't even remember the name of it. There's one really popular one for Rails. And it just has so much crap in it that most uh, systems don't even use. And then, you know, you find out in a few months down the road that there's a hole in that feature that you're not even using yeah. But it compromised your system. So um, at least in Rails, like doing basic user authentication um, against a hashed password like that is, is super simple. So I say go for it. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. And I've seen um, some of the shopping carts too. Their backends are the same way. It's like, man, we're going to handle credit card data. We know what we're doing. And I'm like, are you serious? There can't, oh my, this like can't be real. Like, what am I seeing? Yeah. And, uh, it makes me really hesitant about shopping online. But, um, when you roll your own authentication framework, I recommend taking the time to, uh, you know, validate things. Just remember, you know, you never trust any of the inputs. That's one of the most common things I see missed. I'm like, wait, they're just grabbing this thing off here and dumping it into this field. And mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the first things I see. So validate your input. Um, and the second thing I think is really, really important is like um, session tokens and nonces and things like that. Um, I don't think that there's enough emphasis placed on um, doing that in a, in a clean fashion. Uh, session IDs need to be some sort of salted hash um, 
you know, so take a little time to put something in there that isn't just like get rand uh, time dot now and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, um, generate a, a, a decent session ID, base 64 encode your stuff. Um, I know it sounds so simple, but those are the things that I see like 20 times out of, you know, 21 when I look at that open source stuff these days. It's, it's really horrible. Um, cookies that don't set HTTPS only. Uh, that's another one that's, I see that all the time. People are like, um, this cookie can go over HTTP or HTTPS. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. Well, there's the, um, the HTTP only flag and then the secure flag. Mm-hmm. So HTTP only is, uh, you can't access it from JavaScript. And then the secure flag is whether it can go over SSL or not, or over plain text or not. Yeah. One of the things I've I've been kind of doing is um, my XHR requests, um, sending the cookies in with that. So I played around with um, uh, sending in that information on every request. And then I do a little bit of stuff with um, the origin. Uh, our applications sometimes pull data from more than one machine. Um, so you have to be a little bit careful about how that's handled. Uh, I'm going to catch so much crap for this. I know it. Um, this is a scary thing to me. I had to make our application work in IE and, uh, I was like, huh, this thing isn't working. That's strange. So I fired up the debugger in IE and IE caught syntax errors that, um, I hadn't seen in either Firefox or Chrome. And I'm like, how the hell did I miss this? Like, how did this not work in these other browsers? But um, I had like four or five little things that just seemed to be ignored by Chrome and Firefox that were like, oh, yeah, we know what you mean. And in IE, it was like, no, 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 this is wrong. And uh, sure enough, it, it caught a handful of bugs that the other browsers didn't. So this is a pretty scary, uh, <laughs> crazy thing. Like Microsoft is like paying OpenBSD or o- the OpenBSD Foundation, and they're integrating OpenSSH, and then IE is finding bugs that Firefox and Chrome didn't. <laughs> I feel like my world's been rocked. Was that uh, old IE or the new like Edge thing? Um, I'm using 11 at work. Is that new? I don't know what one that I is. I think I don't know. The only, I only know like IE six through eight are old, so I don't know what's considered new or what is IE and what's Edge and all that. Yep. Jazz, but maybe the newer ones are finally uh, taking the reverse approach to. Um, parsing anything and everything and being like, no, we're just going to throw an error at this. Yeah. That's what it seemed like to me and the little things that I was dealing with. I was impressed and, uh, my, my cheeks are a little bit red right now that I'm admitting that, uh, (laughs) but it is what it is. All right. Well, that's all we have for this episode. So if there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode, you can reach us on Twitter at garbage FM Subscribe to our show's RSS feed on our website at garbage.fm or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Uh, Brandon, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter. I'm at NoMercyMod with a K-N-O-W, sometimes on Google+, and uh, pretty soon I'm going to be in my camper. All right. Uh, I am on the web at jcs.org and on Twitter at jcs, and I do not have a camper. Look and the beer Cool tools Cool, cool, cool Cool
Cool Tools. Ready for real metal tools? You can get Cool Tools. Keep them in your handy tool belt or in your Cool Tools toolbox. You got my tape measure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Cool Tools. Cool Tools. Tools, belt, and toolbox. Each sold separately. Batteries not included.